welcome. It seems like a short and very innocent posseg verse in Parsha's Vayakel. And yet, it, bring, it brought forth very fascinating and intriguing ideas and discussions. And I'm referring to the story of the mirrors. Bring up source number one, please. In the portion of Ayakil, the Torah discusses how Betzalel and his team of craftsmen constructed all of the pieces of furniture and vessels of the Mishkan of the Tabernacle. Source number one in your PDF right below the video. Vayas eishakir nechoshes veishkanay nechoshes. Betzalel made the kir, the washing basin, out of copper, as well as its pedestal, also out of copper. With the mirrors of the women who congregated at the door to the sanctuary, to the tent of meeting. What were these mirrors is the question. We know that one of the pieces of furniture in the tabernacle and later in the temple was the kir. The kir was a large kettle which was filled with water. And each morning before any kohen, any priest would enter into the sanctuary to do the service, he was obligated to wash his hands and his feet from the kir, from the washing basin. It had faucets. The Kohen would open up the faucets and the water would flow and cleanse his hands and his feet. And only then was he permitted entrance into the sanctuary to perform the service. This kir, this washing basin or water kettle, was made of copper. From the mirrors. Which mirrors are we referring to? What type of mirrors? The Torah is cryptic. The Torah does not elaborate. It just says from those who congregated near the sanctuary. And when it talks about those who congregated, it says it in the feminine term, Hatsovos, which means the women who congregated it. So let's first quote a very basic and simple interpretation presented by the Ramban. The Ramban, Rabbeinu Moshe ben Nachman, also known as Nachmanides, was the great Spanish leader, rabbi, philosopher, thinker, Talmudist, physician, who lived in the 13th century in Spain, and then made Aliyah to the Holy Land, where he lived in Jerusalem, and he passed away. The Ramban wrote an extraordinary commentary on the Chumash, and in this verse the Ramban explains that women used copper for mirrors. And the Ramban says they were beautiful, they were of good quality, they looked good, and they were clean. The women would polish, he says, the copper until it shined, until it became a really uh, good and functional mirror. When the women heard that mirrors are being used to make, to construct the washing basin, the kir, so many women congregated to the sanctuary to donate and contribute their personal mirrors for the kir, for the copper washing basin. Granted, 
Now, of course, we have the conceptual question. Why were the mirrors of the women used for this particular vessel in the holy sanctuary in the Mishkan? This was not just another vessel. This was the vessel from which all the Kohanim, every single day, sanctify themselves through water, which is a sanctifying substance in the Torah, in order to perform the service. So why was it? The mirrors of the women, which was used in order to make and design the kier to bring sanctity to the Kohan. What is the reason for this? Among the biblical commentators, we have here two interpretations that are quite opposed to each other. Two drastically different perspectives, extremely different perspectives. The first I want to offer is the one of the Eben Ezra. Rabbeinu Avram Eben Ezra, also the great Spanish commentator of the 12th century, says, bring up source number two. Zagda Eben Ezra. Veta Matsovos, the reason they brought their mirrors, ki mishpat kol hanoshim, lisyafos, Liris Pneem Becholboiker, Bemaris Nechoshes, Eschuchus, Lusakin Hapeerim Sha'al Roshay. The routine of all women is to beautify themselves, to look at themselves in the mirror every single morning, either a mirror made of copper or a mirror made of glass, in order to beautify uh, their hair, their body. Heyman Eskarim Besefer Yeshaya, these mirrors are mentioned by the prophet Isaiah chapter 3. The custom of the Jewish people was like the custom of the Yishmaelites, the Arabs, the Eben Ezra is writing in the 12th century, till this very day. But there were some women, according to Ibn Ezra, serving God who decided to segregate and become ascetics to segregate themselves from all of the cravings and pleasures of the physical world. So thus they did not need to use mirrors any longer to beautify their bodies and faces, and hence they gave away their mirrors to the sanctuary. So it's from these mirrors, from taken from these women, through which Betzalel made the kir, which is a symbol of sanctity and holiness, coming from the women who decided to segregate themselves from what he would see as material indulgence, of focusing on their body and its aesthetical value. They gave up their mirrors, and hence these mirrors became the source from which the Kohen and the priests every day would sanctify their arms, their hands, and their feet. Yet, there is a completely different perspective, and I should say probably an opposite perspective, which is found in the Medrash already, Medrash Tanchuma on this verse, and it's the tradition that's embraced and accepted by Rashi. Rashi, the 11th and 12th century, most famous and fundamental biblical commentator in France, Rabbi Nushlomo Yitzchaki, who quotes this Midrashic tradition and embraces it as the literal interpretation of the verses. Let's see what Rashi says. Please bring up source number three, in your curriculum below the video, Zakrashi. The Maris Hatsevis, 
It's a long Rashi and a beautiful and very moving story that Rashi tells us here. Such Rashi. Benois Yisrael hoyu biyodan maris. Sheroyes behen kishahoyu miskashtis. The daughters of Israel had in their possession copper mirrors, which they would look into when they would beautify themselves. And even these mirrors, they did not withhold from bringing for the contribution of the Mishkan of the sanctuary. Moses rejected these mirrors, because they were made for accomplishing the ends of the Yetzirah, of the evil inclination. Moses felt that these mirrors were used to arouse the human intimate cravings which come from the Yetzirah, from the negative inclination. So Moses was disgusted. Moses rejected this contribution. God told Moses, listen to this. Kabel, I want you to accept these mirrors from these women. Ki elu chavivin alaymin akoil. Because these mirrors are more beloved to me than everything else. All the contributions that all of the men and the women are bringing. Gold or silver or copper or oils or incense or diamonds or stones and different materials, wools and substances. All very precious and beloved. But elu. But these mirrors, they are more beloved to me, they are more precious to me than everything else. Why? Because through these mirrors, the women created many legions of offspring in Egypt. And he tells the story. Their husbands would be exhausted by the horrific labor imposed upon them by the Egyptians. Their wives would go and bring their husbands food and drink in the places where they were slaving away under the Egyptian taskmasters. Their wives would feed them. And then those women would take these mirrors and each one would view herself with her husband in the mirror. And she would entice him with words saying, I am more handsome, I am more beautiful than you. And through this they would bring their husbands to physical desire and craving. And they would have intimate relations with them. So the women would conceive and give birth there to a new generation of Jewish children. Shenemar. This is what the verse says in the Song of Songs, Tachas Under the apple tree, I have aroused you. And this is the meaning of the verse here, that the kir was made of the mirrors of the legions. It means those mirrors which produced and gave birth and were responsible for the armies of Yiddish Kindalach of Jewish children, that were raised under impossible conditions in Egypt as a result of these mirrors. And the kir, the washing basin, was made of these mirrors. What is Rashi telling us here? Moses rejected these mirrors because he felt it's immodest to use these mirrors for the temple. 
the place of holiness where God is going to dwell, why are we using mirrors that are made to nourish and nurture the material, physical, bodily desires of the Yetzirah in terms of intimacy? Comes God and says, no, these are more precious than any other contribution, than all other contributions. Why? Because in the Egyptian exile, the husbands were exhausted. They lacked interest, they lacked desire, they lacked physical power to even think about relationships. And it was these mirrors that the women used in order to make sure that the Jewish people don't die. In order to make sure that there is a tomorrow to the Jewish nation, through them they conceived and gave birth to the Tzivis Hashem, to the legions of Jews who would ultimately one day leave Egypt and come into the desert and build a sanctuary. You'll take these mirrors, God says, and build from them the washing base. What do we discover from this Rashi? A fascinating idea. That it was precisely the mirrors which Moses rejected because he felt they were unworthy to be used in the sanctuary in the Mishkan. And yet it's these mirrors that become not just eligible for the Mishkan, but they actually become the stuff through which every priest sanctifies himself refines himself, elevates himself to a higher state of holiness and sanctity through these very mirrors. Let us try to understand this and to reflect on it. What was the argument between Moses and God? Moses feels, Elo Asuim these mirrors are serving the evil inclination in a person, and therefore they don't have a place in the sanctuary. What was God telling him? It was not just God was telling him, Moses, something very special happened with these mirrors, and therefore I want you to use them. Rather, what God was telling Moses was something more profound. You're saying that these mirrors are asuyim le'etzahara, they're made for the evil inclination. You're making a mistake. They're not asuyim le'etzahara. These mirrors were actually sacred mirrors. These mirrors were made and they contributed to holiness. Why? So the Lubavitcher Rebbe once gave a lovely interpretation. This was at a Purim Fabreng in a Purim gathering in 1960. And he said this, Look at the product. Look at the Jewish children that were born as a result of the physical intimacy that came from these mirrors. Look at who they were. These children with the tzivis, the legions, the tzivis Hashem, the army of God who left Egypt. This is the generation which broke the shackles of Egyptian slavery and ultimately would come to Sinai and receive the Torah. These are the children that were created, that were conceived, and were created as a result of these mirrors. We know it's discussed in Medrash and in many ethical works, and in Zohar and in the Tanya he discusses it, that the thoughts of the parents during physical intimacy affects many components of the psyche and the personality of the child. Just as the body of the child comes from the seed and the egg, which come from the intimacy of the father and the mother, the psyche of the child, 
the inner workings of the child, the mental, psychological, and spiritual makeup of the child, many components of it are created through the inner consciousness of the parents during their intimacy and relationships. So from their physical bodies come the physical components of the child, and from their inner spiritual emotional state and consciousness during intimacy is formed and developed the inner consciousness of the child. So God is telling Moshe, look at who these children are, and you'll be able to see what they were thinking about during their relationships. There's a famous story about the Kotzke Rebbe. He was once talking to one of his children, and one of his Hasidim said, Rebbe, do you even know this child? You never spend time with him. Do you even know who this child is? And the Kotzker said, Yes, I know. I know with which thoughts I brought him into the world. So God is telling Moses, Look at these children who left Egypt and you'll understand what were the thoughts, what was the state of mind, what was the consciousness of the mothers who then introduced it to the fathers when they were using these mirrors in order to entice them and create intimacy. It wasn't a materialistic, narcissistic, beastly, physical craving that was at play. Rather, it was an experience that was deeply human, deeply Jewish, deeply sensitive, deeply refined, deeply sacred, and deeply spiritual. And yet, Moses initially did not realize this. Because here we come to one of the important distinctions discussed in Jewish mysticism and Hasidic works, and also in that talk of the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Purim 1960, between men and women. Generally, when it comes even in this, to this very issue, one sees that for women, a physical relationship is meaningful if it's a reflection of an emotional relationship, of a deeper relationship, of a human relationship. For, for men, often the two can be completely divorced. A physical relationship can often have a lot of value and power and importance, even if it's completely divorced from the emotional component of love and attachment and commitment and devotion. But for the woman, naturally, the way God created the psyche and the body of a woman, the physical relationship for it to be meaningful, interesting, enjoyable, and deep. It's usually when it mirrors something deeper, something more profound, something more emotional, and something more spiritual. And therefore it's the Jewish woman who has the ability to reveal in this element of life, in this experience of life, the sacred quality of it. The fact that it's not all the Yetzirah, it's not just a selfish, narcissistic human thing, the evil inclination wants physical relationships. The woman reveals that these mirrors are Kedusha, they're sacred. And not only are they sacred from this, all the Kayanim are going to sanctify their hands and their feet and perform their service. And even the high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies that day of Yom Kippur, he sanctified himself through these mirrors, through this kir that was made from the mirrors of the woman. Because the women have this special spiritual power by the way God created them 
to be able to reveal that even in this element of life, which is often seen as the most mundane and crass and animalistic component of life, all about physical pleasure, on a deeper level it's really also a sacred and holy and divine experience. It depends how you look at it. It depends how you perceive it. It depends how you view it. And she has the power to share that gift with her husband as well. To be able to help him understand that what may seem as a shallow physical experience really has so much more depth. And if you really want to suck the marrow out of the physical experience, you must align it with its true power, its true profundity, with it, which is the spiritual holiness that's involved in the relationship of love between a husband and a wife, which can also produce a new generation of children. This also explains why it was the washing basin that was used, that used these mirrors. Because why do you need a washing basin to wash your hands and your feet? Why do you have to wash your hands and your feet? Because they may have become dirty. They may have become filthy. What does this represent? Somebody who is segregated from physicality, somebody who is segregated from materialism, somebody who is just an abstract soul, can't get their hands and feet dirty. Only somebody who is enmeshed and who is involved with the physical world can get often morally and spiritually unclean. That's why you have to wash your feet. If you're not wearing shoes, your feet are actually touching the earth physically and metaphorically. You get dirty with the dirt that may exist in this world. So the key or the washing basin is there to help you distinguish that dirt which you have to remove in order to come into a place of holiness and that which can remain on you when you enter into the place of holiness. This ability to be able to make this distinction when you are in the world to be able to appreciate that which is sacred and therefore you could retain when you come into the holiness of the sanctuary and that which is not sacred and therefore you have to reject it this again is the gift that was given uniquely and specially to the woman who has that ability to be able to be within the physical world and access this sacredness and holiness that's inherent in the physical not just to access the sacredness and the spiritual and the transcendental, but within the daily responsibilities of a physical life living in a physical material world, to be able to see it from a more meaningful and spiritual and holistic and sacred perspective is the power of the woman. And therefore, she can create that spiritual key or the washing basin to distinguish and say, these elements are holy and sacred and can be embraced, and these elements cannot be embraced. Where often the man, there is a duality. In the world of spirituality, there's a lot of spirituality, but sometimes when he gets into the physical, he could fall down into the physical and not to be able to create the link between the two and to be able to distinguish and say, this is physical, but it's sacred. It could be sacred. And this must be rejected from the life. So the sanctuary would then be a metaphor for the home. And the woman creates the foundation of the home, gives the home its energy, its ambiance, its beauty, its positive energy, its love and its sacredness. And she becomes the cure. Her mirrors become the cure, the washing basin, which when the husband comes home, physically and conceptually, she appreciates, she's sensitive to that which should be allowed into the home 
and that which should not be allowed in the home. That which should be allowed in the home because it's productive, it's meaningful. And even if it may be physical, it could be sacred and beautiful. And that which should not be allowed into the home because it would compromise its integrity and compromise its purity. This is the potential that the woman, the feminine soul has and what she can offer to her masculine counterpart and to her entire home and entire family. Now, let's take it to the next step. We see here an argument between Moses and God. Moses believes it's the Yetzirah, and God says, no, this is more precious than everything. So we explained. Moses comes from the perspective. Holiness comes from spirituality. Holiness comes from transcendence. Holiness comes from Torah. Holiness comes from heaven. These mirrors used for physical intimacy, that belongs to earthiness. Take, leave it out of here. And God says, no, you don't understand. And this is the power of the Jewish woman. This is the power of the woman that you, Moshe Rabbeinu, don't understand. In fact, Moshe Rabbeinu separated from his wife. You don't understand that the woman has the power to reveal that this is really sacred. This is really holy. Even the physical is holy. And yet, this still needs explanation. Did Moses not understand and comprehend that even physical components of life can be done with a holiness, with a sacredness? I mean, this is the foundation of so many Jewish teachings. The way we eat, the way we drink, the way we sleep, the way we dress, the way we engage in relationships, the way we have children. These are physical, mundane things, and yet the Torah challenges us and invites us to suck the marrow out of these experiences and get to their depth and reveal that they're deeper than simply selfish physical cravings. Moses could not relate to this. Moses could not understand this. For to understand this, to answer this, we must go to the next level. We have to go a little deeper. And I want to introduce a very strange, and I'm telling you it's strange and difficult to understand, line in the Tanchum, and Medrash Tanchum, from where Rashi took his story. Open up source number four. Rashi took it from Tanchum, but there's a few major changes between the source and Rashi. And I want to focus on one of these changes. Take a look. Source number four. Tanchum Pkudetes. And when Moses saw the mirrors of the women, he got angry at them. He told the Jewish people, Take sticks and break their thighs. Who needs these mirrors? God told Moshe, Moshe, you're embarrassing these mirrors? Or you're embarrassing these women? These mirrors are responsible for creating and establishing all of these legions of Jews in Egypt. Take from them the mirrors and make from it the water kettle and its 
pedestal for the priest to become holy from it. What does it mean with the mirrors of the legions which gathered? It means the mirrors that created armies of Jewish youngsters, Jewish boys and girls who were born because of these mirrors. What does Moses? What does it mean? I ask you that Moses say, "Take sticks and break their thighs." Who speaks like this? Women came to contribute to the mishkan, based on God's commandment. You don't want to accept the mirrors. Don't accept the mirrors. Rashi says Moshe didn't like them and he rejected them. He was disgusted by them and he said no. And God said, "Take them." What type of expression is this? Take sticks and break their thighs. This is how Moshe Rabbeinu speaks. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't know about the sin of hitting a Jew. The first story we know about Moses, the second story when he comes to Egypt is, he sees one Jew striking another Jew. And what does he say? Russia, Lama Sakariacha, why do you strike a Jew? And he doesn't even know why he's striking him. Here, women are bringing a contribution. They're bringing their mirrors. You're angry, you're upset, fine. Dismiss them. Say, it's not for us, thank you very much. How does the, what, does, what does the Medrash mean? Moses says, take sticks and break thighs. For what? And this is the same person who sacrificed himself for the Jewish people, who worshipped the golden calf. Forty days after the giving of the Torah, there's Jews who create a golden calf and deify it and dance around it and scream, this is your God. And God says, let me annihilate them. And Moses says, no, erase me from the book which you have written. As discussed at length in the Shi, the class of Kisisa, for them Moses sacrifices himself completely. Here are holy, beautiful, wonderful women who want to contribute their mirrors to the temple and the sanctuary. Here suddenly he loses his patience. Speak such words. What does it mean? Without the deeper mystical and spiritual understanding of the story, it's very difficult to understand this Madrash. In order to understand this, we have to understand how Kabbalah and Hasidism understand what a mirror is. Since this is all really about a mirror. Most mirrors, these mirrors were made of copper, which was a reflective substance. It was polished, as the Ramban says, and you could see yourself through the copper. The common mirror was and is made of glass, and the glass is coated with a reflective substance, which reflects you. Usually silver, which covers the glass, and from a window it becomes a mirror. What's the difference between, say, a glass window and a glass mirror? The difference is very simple. You're looking out of a mirror, you see that which is in front of you. You see everything that's outside. Glass is translucent, so through it you can see what is ahead of you. What happens by a mirror? When you look at the mirror, you can't see what is outside. Why? Because the glass is covered. The glass is plated. But glass could be covered with different substances. It could be covered with a substance that's not reflective. If you cover the glass with a sheet of plaster or cement or something similar to that, you're not going to see anything. It doesn't reflect anything, nor is it transparent. You can't see what is ahead of you. When the glass is coated and covered with silver, with a sheet of silver. So then, you do not see what is in front of you, but you can see yourself, and you can see that which is behind you. 
that, that which is before you, that which precedes you. Not that which follows you, but that which precedes you. This is the physical, basic difference between glass and glass that's coated with a reflective uh, substance, a mirror. Every physical substance evolves from a spiritual reality. In Kabbalah, this is known as Seder Hishtalshalus. There's a process of evolution. We're not talking here about Darwin evolu- Dar- Darwinism, Darwin's, Charles Darwin's evolution. We're talking about the evolution from spiritual properties to physical properties. And to understand and appreciate the difference between these two realities, we must introduce ourselves to a beautiful verse in the Song of Songs, Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs chapter 2. Open up source number 5. Ki hine astav avar, the Song of Songs sings. Hine astav avar, winter has passed. Hageshem chalaf The rain is gone, it stopped raining. Hanitzanim niru ba'aretz. The blossoms, the first blossoms are seen on the earth. Eis hazomer higia, the time for pruning has arrived. V'koyl hatar nishma ba'artzenu. And the voice of the dove is heard in our land. Hateina chanta fageh, the fig tree, began producing her first figs. Hakfonim smadar, smadar. And the vines began blossoming, blossoming their grapes. Nasnureyach, they're giving their fragrance. Kumilach rayasi yafasi yafasi ulechilach. Rise up, my wife, my beautiful one, and go forth. And then he continues, Yoinasi bechag veyasela beseisra madrega. My dove is in the clefts of the rock, in the hidden step. Harini es meira marayich. Hashmiini es koylech kikoylech orev umarich nava. Show me your mara, show me your countenance, let me hear your voice, because your voice is sweet, and your countenance is beautiful. What do these poetic words mean? Midrash, a Kabbalistic tradition, explain that they actually define two different states in the relationship between the groom and the bride, between God and the Jew, between the soul and the body, between heaven and earth. There is a time when stuff of our winter past, it's not raining anymore. It's a time of blossoming. Spring is here, you know the feeling. It's a time of pruning. You can hear the doves singing. The fig tree is producing. The vine is producing. And the groom turns to the bride and says, Stand up, my bride. Rise up, my beautiful wife. And go forth. That's one stage in the relationship. This is a stage when... The passion is palpable. The emotions are very powerful. The love and the affection between the groom and the bride are there in their full intensity. Come, stand up, my beautiful wife, and go forth. This is the time of song and passion. It's a time of ecstasy and fulfillment. As the relationship is beautiful, romantic, filled with emotion and affection. But then there comes another stage in life when when I'm looking for my dove, my mate, and I can't find my dove because she is she's hidden in the clefts of the rock, in those little holes, in the crevices of the rocks, in the hidden step. And I beg and I say, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. This is a different state. It's a time of concealment. It's a time of estrangement. It's a time of alienation. 
Mara in Hebrew is the word for a mirror. Harenius, Harenius, Marayach means show me not only your countenance, but show me your mirror. And here is where we discover, where we discover the deeper meaning of these verses. In the relationship between the Jew and God, or the Jew and his soul, there are two states, two states of consciousness. One is life is like you're living behind the glass, and you could see glass is translucent. It's a time when you see clearly what is before you, what is ahead of you. This is the time when the Jew experiences in a very clear fashion, like through glass, his relationship or her relationship with God. You feel your soul, you know your depth, you appreciate your inner identity, you sense the spiritual cosmic vibrations within the universe. You're permeated with a sense of meaning and clarity and purpose. To their hairst, you appreciate us God of the world that there's a God in the world, and that you are you are on a journey, and every day is meaningful. But then there comes a day when you're bechag The winter has not passed; it didn't stop raining. You still have the gloomy winter and the dark rain, clouding your vision. The trees are not yet blossoming with fruits. On the contrary. This is a time of alienation when the Jew cannot find God. The Jew cannot find his soul. On the contrary, there's a tremendous blockage. It's not glass. You don't see. And the reason you don't see is because I may have a thick and dense body and animalistic soul, which curtails my vision and which creates a very powerful veil and curtain that blocks me. It does not allow me to be inspired. It does not allow me to feel any meaning. It does not allow me to feel any holiness, sacredness, depth. On the contrary, my inner spiritual energy is hidden in the clefts of the rock. It's buried under layers and layers of rubble and debris and I cannot get to it. And the rubble and debris consists of my addictions and my fears and my insecurities. And my animalistic and beastly self-centered desires and instincts and cravings and appetites and proclivities and emotions which don't allow me to get to my inner purity, to my inner godliness, to my inner holiness, to my inner confidence and hope and endless joy. What do you do then? Then the groom, God says, Harini esmarayich, now I need you to understand the secret of a mirror. Harini esmarayich, I need the mirror. You have to understand what is a mirror. What is a mirror? A mirror is, there's no glass, the glass is covered. The glass is blocked. Your vision is thus obstructed. You want to see out, but your eyes, the vision, the light that comes through your eyes hits instead of hitting the glass. And therefore, the glass allows it to carry on and to see what is beyond it. Your vision stops. Now what happens? Now there's something which the Kabbalah and Hasidic masters call Urchhaizer. There's the light which goes straight forward, which goes ahead of you, Urchhaizer, straight light. And then there's the Urchhaizer, which means returning light, or the light that bounces back, or the reflective light. Not the straight light that goes forward, but the light that actually goes backward, reflective, Urchhaizer, it bounces back. When the eyes want to see forward, but the glass is covered, so now what happens is the light hits the silver plating which coats and covers the glass. 
So now your vision, instead of going forward, it actually goes in the opposite direction. The light balances off the silver plating and shows you not what is ahead of you, but that which is behind you. When you look at a mirror, you can see everything that is behind you. In other words, everything that precedes you, not that which follows you like through the window, but that which precedes you. And you can also see yourself. What does this represent? It represents a very profound spiritual idea. Sometimes in life you get to have revelation. There's no blockages. So then you see clearly out the window. But sometimes there are concealments, there are blockages. What happens now? So there are two types of concealments. Sometimes the glass is so concealed that it stops all vision. You don't see anything. You just see a wall. This represents a concealment which doesn't allow you to see anything. The concealment is so dense, it's so thick, it just obstructs any vision. You can't see what is ahead of you and you can't see that which is behind you. You just see the wall. It doesn't reflect anything beyond itself. But if the glass is coated with a layer of silver, not plaster or cement or other substances, but a reflective surface or like copper when it's polished, clean copper, translucent copper, a reflective copper, so then, you do see something. But what do you see? You don't see that which is ahead of you. You get to see yourself in the mirror. And you get to see that which is behind yourself. What does this mean in a person's life? It means that when I experience in life the blockage that comes from the physicality of the body, and the blockage that comes from the beastliness, and the egocentricity, and the materialism of the animal consciousness, and I struggle to work with the concealment, to challenge it, to work with it, to confront it, to subdue it, to transform it, that generates a vision. And it generates a light which is called Urchhäuser. It's not the direct light which allows me to see that which is ahead of me, but it's the light which balances off and allows me to see myself in a way that I have not seen in myself ever before. Because when you have to fight for something, it crystallizes to you who you really are. When you don't have to fight for something, when everything is easy, when everything is clear, when everything is comfortable, when you don't have to wrestle with anybody and anything, then you don't really learn who you are. You may know yourself externally, but you don't know yourself internally. But when you have to fight, you have to establish what your priorities are. You have to figure out who you really, really are. You can't take things for granted. You have to understand what is it ready that you're ready to sacrifice for and what not. When you have to put up a fight for something, it lets you appreciate yourself in a new way, in a new depth. So when there's a blockage, that's when you get to see who? You get to see yourself. But it's not just you get to see yourself, you get to see even more. You get to see that which is behind you, which Kabbalistically, mystically represents that which is above you, that which precedes you, that which is even higher than you. Which means, through the glass, we experience the light that is contained within the structure of a human being and within the structure of the universe. But when we confront the darkness and we have to subdue and challenge and break and crush and transform our darkness into light, a whole new light is created. 
a whole new depth is created, a whole new energy is created. And let's explain this for a moment. There are two types of divine energy that exist. One is a divine energy that is contained within the structures of the universe and within the structures of the human psyche. That's one type of divine energy. There's another divine energy which transcends any structure, it transcends any vessels, it transcends any containers, it's beyond it. It cannot be defined in any finite and limited way. I spoke in Kisisa about the ink that's articulated in the letters and the ink that's contained in the quill. It's ink that cannot be articulated in letters. It's an energy that's beyond structure. It's beyond definition. It's beyond description. When I serve God, when I connect to my soul in a straightforward way, in an accessible way, when my life is surrounded by windows and I could see out of the windows, then I connect with the light that is available within the structure of the universe. But when I have to deal with a blockage, when I have to confront addictions, habits, instincts, cravings and desires that schlep me down, bog me down, make me sluggish and heavy, alienate me from my soul, estrange me from my essence, and I have to fight with it. So now I have to fight with my character. Now I have to transcend my character. This allows me to experience the divine light that transcends containers, that transcends characters. In other words, there is the light that you experience through affirmation and there is the light that you experience through conflict and negation. The light that you experience through the positive association with holiness is the light that's available within the containers of the world. The light that you experience through the conflict, through the challenge, through negating negative cravings and instincts and desires and habits, that's the light which transcends the vessels and you can only capture that light by transcending your own vessel. How do you transcend your own vessel? When your vessel is filled with so many black holes and your vessel is filled with skeletons and demons and ghosts that you have to challenge and you have to transcend. So now you're transcending your own container. You're going out of your structure. You're challenging your structure. You're not falling prey to your external darkness. And then you can access the transcendental divine energy that is beyond structure. This is the light that you get through the mirror. Not the light that's in front of you and following you, but the light that precedes you, that's higher than you, that's higher than structure. You challenge your own structure and you get the light that's beyond structure. There's an expression in Zohar, when you subdue unholiness, so then you have a relationship. The glory of God extends into all of the worlds. When the person subdues the unholiness in them, when the person subdues the darkness in them, then they become vessels for the light that's completely beyond vessels. When you have to break your own nature, when you have to crush something in yourself, when you have to say no to yourself, then you access the divine light, which can never be grasped through yes, but can only be grasped through no. You grasp the divine light, which can never be grasped through self-expression, but can only be grasped through self-transcendence, because it's the transcendental light. When you transcend yourself, you access that. 
That's the meaning in the verse of Song of Songs. There's a time where you tell the wife, stand up, my beautiful one, and rise, and let's go forth. But then there's a time when everything is hidden, and the glass is obstructed by layers of concealments. So now we say, Show me your mirror. Because your voice is sweet, your mirror is beautiful. It's this confrontation with the obstacles of life and the challenges of life, including your inner mental, psychological and spiritual obstacles and the obstacles around you. It's this confrontation with the silver that obstructs the glass that allows you to see yourself in a new way. And allows you to see and experience a whole new depth of godliness. And a whole new depth of energy that you would never be able to experience without the challenges and the concealment. It's only through the fight and the confrontation with the layers of ego and profanity that obstruct the human spiritual vision. That you can reach a place of light and a place of vision that transcends infinitely the light that you would have experienced if there was only glass and you would only be able to see that which is ahead of you, but never that Ur that new light which completely transcends you, which is why the Talmud says in Brachas, Tractate Brachas, The place where the Baal Tshuva, where the man of repentance stands, even the complete righteous person doesn't stand because the righteous person is the man of glass. And the Baal Tshuva has to deal with the mirror. Harini Ah, now we'll understand the difference between Moses' perspective and God's perspective. Take a look in source number six. The Talmud says in Yevamas, Dafmem Tesamid Beis, Kolanaviim Nistaklu Baspaklari Shainamir, Moshrabin Nistakl Baspaklari Amir, all the prophets saw godliness through a non translucent medium. Moses saw godliness through Aspaklari Amir, through a translucent medium. What is the difference? Moshe Rabbeinu saw godliness like we see things through glass. You can see them clearly. The way they are in truth and reality, that's how you see them. The other prophets could not see and experience that vision. They saw it through Aspaklari Meira, which is like a mirror. Take a look at number 7, Rashi brings, source number 7, Rashi brings in Matos. Hanavim nisnabu bekoyam arashem. Moisif aleim moishish nisnabu beloshen zehadover. The prophets all use the word koyam arashem. So said God. Moses said zehadover. This is it. Koy is you have some type of understanding of it. A simulation of it. Moses is zeh. He actually sees it the way it is. When you see something in a mirror, you don't see its real reality. You see a reflection of it. You don't see the actual substance, you see a reflection of the substance. When I see myself in the mirror, <laughs> you break the mirror, you're not going to break your nose. Why? It's a reflection of your nose, a reflection of your face. But when you see something through a window, you see something through a glass door, through a glass window, you actually see it the way it is. You, you, not the, you see it. You see the real it. You don't see a picture of it, you don't see a mirror of it, you don't see a reflection of it, you see it. And that was the vision of Moses. When the Jewish people worshipped the golden calf, and now they were being atoned and they were building a sanctuary for God, Moshe Rabbeinu did not want mirrors. Moshe Rabbeinu wanted Aspaklaria Ha'meira. 
He wanted the translucent medium to experience holiness. Or to put it differently, Moses didn't want the whole mirror experience of the maturity and the depth and the light that you get through confronting your Yetzirah, your evil inclination. So Moses says, why are we taking these mirrors? Elu asuyim Even if Moses understands that people have a Yetzirah, they have physical cravings, and it could be dealt with. And they can fight with it and struggle with it and bring holiness into it. Moses said, I don't need mirrors. I want a spaklaria mirror. I want glass. I don't want a mirror. The winter is gone. The rain stopped. We got over the golden calf and all the problems. Now everything is blossoming. You can hear the dove. It's a time of song. Zomer is pruning and singing. Why do I need mirrors? I don't want mirrors. I want zeh. I don't want koi. I want a spaklari amir. That's what Moshe says. Ah, now we'll understand what the Medrash says. When Moshe says, take a stick and break their thighs, he didn't mean God forbid physically to break their thighs. That's totally forbidden. It's grotesque. It's, it's ridiculous. What Moses meant was the thighs, which are the part of the beautiful part of the body that surround. That part of the Eisbris Kodesh where there's the procreative and reproductive substances. Moses says that part has to be broken morally, spiritually. Break it, crush it, don't deal with it. Don't deal with the Yetzirah, don't deal with an evil inclination, don't deal with obstacles, don't deal with concealments. See godliness and holiness in a translucent and transparent fashion. Ah, you say you have thighs and inside the thighs there's this and there's that. Moshe says break them. That's what a human achievement is. The human achievement is transcend them. Break that entire component and go beyond it. Break anything that's connected with tivus, with cravings and struggles that come from human weakness. On this God told Moses, no. You're wrong. You are the level of spaklari hameirah. But what's really precious to me in the labor of love of people in this world is that often they find themselves in clefts of rocks and in hidden steps. And often their inspiration is covered by layers of debris and rubble, and yet, they never forget the secret of the mirror. They never forget the secret that life is a continuous engagement with the Yetzirah, with the negative inclination. And from that engagement and from that conflict, you can create a new type of depth and holiness and beauty and grandeur and human richness. From the confrontation with your negative inclination. As these women did. And this is more precious than everything else in the tabernacle. Because there is the beautiful holiness that comes through glass, that comes through transparency, through which you see the way things are. But then there's another holiness that comes through the entanglement with your animal consciousness and your ego and your beastliness. And yes, the reflection of the mirror never allows you to see the way things are. They, it's only the simulation, it's only a copy, it's only a mirror, it's only a reflection because you're in a lower state. But yet it allows you to see yourself in a deep way and it allows you to experience a new depth and a new light that comes only through the entanglement with the struggles and challenges of human nature to be able to find the light buried within the darkness. And that's the secret of the Pasuk in Bereshis, the first man and woman. 
God says, It's not good for man to be alone. Let me create a help for him. Against him. So the Alter Rebbe Rebbe Shnei Zaman of Liad explains in Torah, Adam Levadi represents the man alone, Einoid Mulvadi, God being alone. With glass, you see everything. There's no obstacles, no obstructions, no veils. The doors of perception are cleansed. That's not good. I want to help him. By creating something parallel that's against him. By creating an obstacle, by creating an opposition. By creating the silver that coats the glass. And then you look in the mirror. And from that confrontation with the concealment, a new light is created. A new light emerges. And that's the Yezer Kenegde, the power of the woman, who understands the value and how to take the very physical world and reveal holiness in that place. That holiness that comes from the holiness of the mirror. The Maris Hatzavis, Chavivin Alaymin Akoyl. That is more precious than everything else in the sanctuary. Have a wonderful night.